If you're going to memorize anything on message, you know, something you absolutely want to get done, rehearse the beginning and the end. Strong opening and a strong closing soundbite of 30 seconds or so. Everything in the middle should be, be prepared, but unscripted. Hey there, and welcome to yet another episode of the World of Presentations podcast brought to you by Asset Presentation Agency 356 Labs. I'm Boris, the founder of the company and your host for this episode. And today we have someone with more than 30 years of experience in speaking who has coached countless executives on how to be credible and effective when they're interviewed on camera or microphone. He has also been, listen to this one, a talk show host for companies like Cisco and ServiceNow. So without further ado, let's welcome David Go to the podcast. David, welcome. Let's fill in the gaps. What did I miss to say about you? Oh, you covered it just fine there, Boris. Thank you. You know, it's actually uncomfortable for me to be the guest. I'm usually in your chair. And today I'm playing guest and talking about being a guest. So this is going to be kind of interesting. Hopefully I won't take over your interview. Okay. Hopefully so indeed. Hopefully so indeed. So you have been a show host, executive coach for so many years. What are some of the most common mistakes a guest will make on a show? All right. You guys going to dive right into it, aren't you? Okay. Uh, well, first let's define show. I think in the world of executive presentations, that means two or more people having a conversation versus you going on camera and looking at the camera and trying to deliver a script or a message. That's a whole different kind of process. But here, it's the advantage of having two or more voices, more freewheeling conversation. And, and one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen as a host is that people are boring. Boring! Okay. Nobody <laughs> wants boring. They're not going to listen to the show if you put them to sleep. And there's a lot of things that go into not being boring, but that's like something I'd like to establish right up front uh, for people to think about. Don't be predictable. Don't be ordinary. Don't be the same as every other guest that says the same thing. You have to disrupt a hypnotic pattern to get audiences to pay attention these days. So with that being said, I say a couple other mistakes I see is people maybe not as prepared as they should be. I mean, come on, do a little audience research, do a little host research. I looked you up. I listened to your podcast. I read about you. I checked your LinkedIn. Like, I want to see what this guy is about. What kind of questions he usually asks? Is he a tough interviewer or is he throwing softballs all the time, right? So that's uh, one of the things is just be prepared. In fact, something I've done, uh, Boris, when it works and I'm able to do it, I'll ask to speak to a couple of audience members before I do a workshop or, or a show or something, can I just talk to some people in the audience and I'll test out, hey, I'm talking about this, this solution, how's that work in your world? And I tell you, that's one of the best ways to get stories and get relevant content that you know the audience will appreciate because someone from the audience actually told you. So I'll look for validation and, and, and just pull stories from those sidebar conversations that I've had. And then finally, I'd say, be real. You know, people put on a little bit of a persona sometimes and my speaker voice or, or just try to be something they're not. And I think today audiences have gotten more sophisticated and they have a more sensitive BS meter. So if they sense you going into a script or something your marketing department wrote, it's like, eh, come on, be real or I'm just going to tune out. Those would be my three. Yeah, don't be boring. Don't be predictable and don't be fake. 
Okay, so that being said, you researched me on LinkedIn, but LinkedIn won't give you the full picture of me, which is interesting, of course. However, did you know and did you find somewhere that I'm a diehard Porsche fan? Porsche fan? Yeah. I saw you like to play sports, but I did not see a picture of a Porsche. So I, I yeah. see, I did lousy research, Boris. I'm sorry. <laughs> that one is on the other social networks, you know, on the Facebooks, on the Instagram somewhere else, for sure. Yeah, I'm a diehard. Favorite car brand on your end? Anything? Oh, I'm a Honda Accord guy all the way. I'm, I'm like the most boring car driver. <laughs> I'm one of those safe people. If you look up the audience demographics for buying Honda Accords, it's got my picture right in here. <laughs> all right. So let's come back and let's go back to our topic. We're talking about panels versus the so-called fear side chats, right? These are these became quite popular, I would say, in the last few years. What are the main differences here? Like, what should people expect when they get invited to those? What is the main difference? Yeah, fireside chat, uh, which came, I think, from uh, one of the U.S. presidents that used to have these little fireside chats. He was sitting next to a fire in a comfortable chair. It was supposed to create a comfortable environment. And today they still do this. And back when we were all getting together in person all the time, <laughs> uh, which we'll get back to eventually, uh, I noticed they'll put two chairs on the stage with a host and the, the executive guest. And these chairs are like the most comfortable, low sitting, slouching, like people sink into these chairs. And what happens to your body when you get in a, it's like sitting in a beanbag chair. You can't get any airflow, your posture, your gestures, everything changes. And just that physical difference. In fact, something I used to insist on when I was invited as a guest in a fireside chat was give me a bar stool, give me a backless chair or something that forced me to sit up, have a little posture, get a little more animated and, and not, you know, me fall asleep. So the what, is the, fall asleep. what is the difference, by the way? Can we say what the difference is when you're like sit down on a chair, lousy chair, and then when you're stand up, like what is the difference? Because I need people to hear this. Yeah, it's a huge difference. I mean, sitting down, even like you and I are doing now, it's a virtual meeting, most people are using Zoom, WebEx, whatever. You sit in a chair, you have this slight kind of, you know, hunching forward, people fold their hands, put them on the desk. So you're leaning forward a little bit and your diaphragm, all the muscles and, you know, your breathing apparatus that you would use to speak loudly or sing, are all compressed. And so you just can't get as much air. Like right now, it's my airflow isn't the same. But when you stand, the volume increases, there's more coming through the microphone, and your voice just sounds more commanding and credible. So standing, even in a virtual presentation now, if you get invited to a panel or fireside chat, just stand up. If you get one of those desks that rise up and put your laptop and your microphone right in front of you and, and, and use all of that. Because the other thing I noticed, Boris, when people stand, they naturally gesture more. And in a video that even makes a difference and how interesting it is visually for people to get your body into the action and have occasional hand gestures, to which I'm doing right now as I talk to you, but nobody can see it. This is audio only, but I'm telling you right now, I'm all over the place because it gives me more energy, which ends up reflecting in my voice and the voice. Voice does drive the experience. Even in a video, whether it's audio or video, voice drives the experience. And you need air to have a powerful voice. Okay, what else is different in the panel? By the way, I didn't know the history behind the fear side, uh, fear side chat. Didn't know that it's coming from there. Like, <laughs> I had to do my own research, obviously, <laughs> so on that one. So what else is different on the panel versus the fear side? Yeah, I think it's Franklin Roosevelt, but don't quote me on that. I'm going to go research it afterwards sure. too. Um, yeah, and, and 
So fireside chat is more of a one-on-one. -on -one. The panel means you're with a couple of other people. Usually it's three, sometimes four. They don't go much more than that if you're on a stage or even in a webinar. You know, it's you and two other guests. So the biggest difference there is you're sharing time. And you want to be an expert that has your own time on that panel, but also have a conversation with the other panelists. So just like I would research the host, research the audience, research the other people sitting right next to you. Because from an audience perspective, if you sound like you're listening, they're going to like you more. Instead of just launching into your rehearsed script, you say, well, I really like what Boris said about that. In fact, that reminds me of something we're doing, right? Or Boris mentioned this earlier, so I wanted to return to it. You're kind of like, you're connecting, you have a little connective tissue between you and the other panelists, and that just makes it feel more conversational. And as a host, when I did my talk show, I love to get the panelists fighting with each other, <laughs> right? Ask some kind of a a controversial question or something to make them debate because debates are interesting. Why would you have multiple people? Because you want to have multiple points of view. So let them express it. And you don't have to be as a host, even asking a question to each panelist, encourage them. So as a guest, for me to help prepare my host, I'll say, do you mind if we insert a couple of conversational bits where I can talk to the other panelists? And most hosts are like, yes, thank you. <laughs> Less work for me <laughs> to make it interesting. And so that so that really works. Yeah. So on the side, you know, on the question you asked All me right. about how to be how to be unforgettable as a panelist. Let me just throw a couple of other things, that, and you can interject and you know if, if you have a, a reaction to any of these. But one other thing I like to do sure. is I'll prepare the questions. I want to help. I've been a host before, so I'm going to help the host out. If I get a list of six or seven bullet points, you just, again, you're helping them do their job, but you're also helping to steer the conversation. Mm -hmm. So you're giving the host something that's going to help pull out the best in you. So do some work on that. And my little extra tidbit on how to not be predictable, give the host at least one juicy hardball question that they can ask you. You know, one that you have an All answer. Right. All right. That being said, if that's the formula if we if you wish to success and becoming an unforgettable host let's let's get your way here if we have to go with a hardball question what was the what was the biggest risk you ever took as a host or as a guest ooh hardball okay biggest risk i ever took as a host or a guest uh, well as a guest i take risks with humor sometimes that don't work uh it, like if the situation is tense sometimes i'll throw a joke in because i want to lighten the air but sometimes it just needs to play out as a drama and not have any comedy in it so those are some of the risks that i take sometimes but four out of five times it kind of works and people appreciate the energy from it but i say as a host that's now that's an interesting thought for us i was a host uh, of a show at cisco in front of uh, several hundred salespeople, and i had the opportunity to interview john chambers who's well-known CEO for like 19 years in Silicon Valley. It's unheard of. He was a very successful CEO at Cisco. And John, in our prep before the talk show, he comes back in the room. He's got his makeup person and his script person and his admin. And he's, okay, I'm going to sit here. Give me my Diet Coke. You read me the questions. And it was all a very formal procedure. And I got my questions approved. I had like six questions to ask him. But when we got on stage and the cameras are rolling, I just got this little feeling like, ooh, I just want to 
I just want to see if he cracks. <laughs> and, I do, and this is a big risk. Mean, this is the CEO. He's probably seven levels above my pay grade. I say, hey, John, before we begin, I was at the uh, the Mirage Pool last night or in Vegas, and the other salespeople were asking me, oh, you're going to interview John Chambers. Uh, can you ask him a question for us? And as soon as I launched into that, John got this look on his face like, dude, we didn't rehearse this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I knew it was a little bit of a risk, but I also knew this guy is such a master he'd be able to handle the question. And the question from the salespeople were, hey, John, now that you're leaving as CEO and giving it to Chuck, are you still going to help us close deals? Right. And, and John heard that question. He got up out of his chair. He got all excited and animated. It took it out of the predictable mode and injected some energy that was just really great for the interview. Yeah, that unpredictability, I think, is big deal. I mean, it is big deal for both, for both sides. So moving on to talking about and discussing, hey, panels, fear site, fear site <laughs> chats, fireside chats. There are obviously a lot of moments where the panel, the panelist or whoever moderates this thing can kind of shoot a very, very tough question. Like how do you handle as a panelist, especially how do you handle a tough question having in mind that you have 700 people in front of you and yeah, you should, you should do it right. <laughs> you should handle it correctly, right? How do you handle that? Right. So tough questions. How do you handle? I, well, talking about questions in general, just a bit, I'll, I'll get to that answer there, but uh, you want to answer real audience questions. So if you can prepare that or prepare the host, uh, your host should have some insight already to their audience, right? You just ask them, hey, what, what is your audience? What's on their mind now in this topic area or this umbrella subject? You know, what, what do you think they care most about? For example, when I did the talk show at Cisco, I went out to 18,000 salespeople worldwide and I would do a launch show. So it was like the Tonight Show for product launches. I had the head of sales and the head of product, that product division on the show. And maybe there's a new security firewall uh, being launched. And I had the, the head of sales back in the green room, you know, putting on makeup, doing the drill, all that stuff. And it's a nice relaxed time to have that the script question conversation. I said, I'll just call him Bill. That's not his real name, but I said, Bill, so is there anything on your team's mind that if we don't answer that right away, they may not listen to anything else you have to say? Like, what, what's really on there? He goes, well, huh, yeah, we, we hadn't really worked out the compensation from the channel thing or whatever, and they're going to be concerned about, you know, how they get paid on this and that. I said, okay, tell you what, let me ask you that first, just to get it out of the way. And then the audience will appreciate it because... They'll see me as the host acting like a skeptical audience member and then you having to answer it. And I'm telling you now because I want you to be prepared and I want you to look good and sound good on camera. And so he played along and it was a little choreographed thing, but he goes, oh, you're going to ask me a hardball question right away, right? Okay. We are working on that and we're planning to have it done. We have a committee and a task force and this and that. So he had an answer and I could just feel the audience have a collective sigh of, good. This is real. This is the real conversation. It's not the typical BS I hear from corporate executives written by their speechwriter. And it's not something you and I just did. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and, and tell the audience what we did. I told you to ask me that hardball question. That's true. <laughs> we just have to fast. Let's be honest. Let's be real here. Uh, but I, I want to demonstrate it for people that it's good to have that feeling like the audience is being represented uh, in the show. So that's a good thing. I'm going to come back around to your tough question thing just a second. But I think it's also important that when you answer any question, have some little stories ready. You know, like a little one minute story. You can give the data, but you can also bring the data to life with a story. 
we're talking about, you know, situation, what was the challenge, what did I do, or what was the catalyst for action, and then what was the result? It's like the classic, if you're writing a case study, and you can condense that down to little, you know, story bits. So instead of answering the question with data, you say, well, let me, let me illustrate it with a story. And audiences just respond to stories, they remember stories. And, and one thing that I've tried to do, Boris, is I don't just retell stories. I try to relive it. Mm. Right. Which means put myself back in there, feel the emotions, the shock, the drama, the terror, whatever it was, was happening. And, and one way to do that is to use dialogue. So instead of the And he said this and then she said that and then he said that. He said, no, she said, David, I don't know what to do. I told her, it's all right. You're going to come around eventually. I'll find ways to help you. So see, that's a dialogue where I'm doing both characters' dialogues, and it brings a story to life. And then stories are actually the heart of a great speech or, or presentation. So with that in mind, now I'm going to answer your question. Because <laughs> it question. was a tough one in first place. Yes. Tough, you had a tough question about tough questions. Exactly. Here's the biggest mistake I hear people do. And just, just because it's a cliche, when somebody asks a tough question and you want to buy time, what do people say? Hey, great question. I don't know how, if you think back, <laughs> executives still do. I don't know if some coach out there is telling people to say, hey, great question. But it's such a cliche, doesn't really mean anything. It's like a qualitative response to the like, oh, that's a great question. The other question sucked, but this was a great question. It's like, it just doesn't do anything other than fill the time. So instead, what I try to do if I get asked the hardball is paraphrase. So I hear you asking about this. Is that correct? Right. And I'll just, I'll change the language just a little, like 10%, not totally rephrase it. And, and then you wait for the host to say, yes, that's exactly what I meant. Or they make an adjustment. Say, well, yeah, kind of that's what I meant, but it really this. And so as a guest, what have you done? You bought yourself time. You even took a drink, did a little bit <laughs> taste, give your, your wheels a chance to start moving in your brain. And, and so that's a much better way. I've heard hosts do this a lot. If, if you want to keep a conversation going, you wait for your guests to finish their sentence, and then you just repeat the last four words and wait. So somebody finishes their sentence, and that's how we're going to launch the product in October. Launch the product in October? Wait for it, right? And you pause, and then the guest is like, that's a cue. Oh, you want me to keep going or justify that or something by the tone of your voice? So hosts do that a lot when they don't have another question. They'll repeat the last four words and make you keep going. So you know what I do, Boris? Turn the tables back on the host. I'll repeat the last four words of their question and make them go into more depth and give me a little more explanation of what that means. Again, just means I'll have a better answer. I have a little more time to think about it, and uh, it starts to... You know, just to be more in sync with what the, the host is, is really trying to ask. So I don't know if that's helpful. Uh, have you seen that trick before in, in interviews? Yeah, I think, I think it's rare to see those. However, I wanted to go back probably just say that at the beginning, everything that you said up until now, just mentioned so many times preparation, understanding who is going to be on the panel, understanding the audience who is going to listen to this one. My feeling, unfortunately, with panels and fireside, uh, fireside chats, I don't know why that word is so complicated for me right now. <laughs> like, why is it so hard? <laughs> but what I you see- can have a lot of, You can have a lot yeah. of fear in a fireside. So I understand it's a fear side. That's maybe that's the one. Maybe that's the one. But I at least the conference that I have been to moderated a few on and on and on. What I see is that people who get invited to one of those, they come to the stage without any preparation because they think that mm, wait a minute, it's just a discussion. So why should I care? I 
like six or seven months ago, maybe more because of the COVID. I worked with a guy from Master, uh, MasterCard, who was the sales, the chief sales, whatever here in the region. And he got invited to be the host of a panel. And so he asked me, like, what should I do? So I was like, do you know who are you, who is going to be on the panel? He was like, no idea. And I'm like, that's the first thing that you need to understand. Like, go, like find their names, understand who those people are, call them, discuss it. You know, like, let's, let's start from somewhere. Like, how are you going to ask questions and how are you going to prepare the questions when you don't know who is with you? I mean, how is that right. going to work out? And this is, and it was especially important because the person himself was getting invited to this very expensive event, right? People pay a lot of money and then they see something that is so obvious that it's not prepared, right? It's just so obvious. But anyway, hopefully people that are, that want to be panelists or that get invited uh, that to be panelists will listen to this podcast. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely correct. I've seen the same thing and it can really be a train wreck when there's zero preparation. However, you know, what's happening is people want to blend a little bit of prepared, and, but they want a lot of organic conversation. That's why a lot of hosts will say, no, I'm not going to give you the questions in advance. I want you to show up and you're just supposed to be an expert in whatever I ask you. And what they're doing that, the reason they do that, I'm sure you've done it, I've done it, is you don't want the person to come to you with a memorized answer. I don't want you writing a script. Because then it feels like you're reading a script and that's boring. So instead, having a partial list, like a bullet point question outline, like here's five things to ask me about. I'll be generally prepared on that, but I'm not going to script an answer for it. So here, but when I coach executives, Boris, I tell them, if you're going to memorize anything on message, you know, something you absolutely want to get done, rehearse the beginning and the end. Strong opening and a strong, you know, closing soundbite. 30 seconds or so everything in the middle should be be prepared but unscripted because mm -hmm. that's it's just hard i know it's hard for even professional actors have a hard time reading a teleprompter script and making it sound natural i mean I, i've developed some tricks for that i can do it i can it basically involves taking off some of the polish that you worked on when you rehearsed it so to putting in more gaps a couple of repeated words hesitations pauses like I don't know. See, just the way I said that, I don't know, but I'm going to answer you. That little I don't know could actually be in a script, but sounds unscripted. And so professionals will do that a little bit sometimes. So I don't know if I answered your question there. Uh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. There, there should be a balance of the two, but definitely lean it toward conversational versus a lecture. That's probably a big word to keep in mind is it needs to be a conversation. And now the world is virtual. That's very interesting virtual world. What's the difference when we talk about a panel compared to the in-person version of it? Like it's one thing to be around the people. It's another thing to be on the Zoom call with them. Are there any differences? What do you advise your customers? What do I advise my customers? See, I just repeated Repeat the last them. question <laughs> by myself some time. Uh, yeah, it's on camera versus in person. I think most people would love to be in person. Mm -hmm. Honestly, there's more information for the audience. There's more information for you. You kind of know how you're doing. So I'm going to separate the audio versus video here for a moment. And we're audio only. So our voices are driving this experience. And, and I'm putting as much volume and variety into my voice as possible, speaking a little quickly and then slowing it down speaking more loudly and then a little bit softer all those variations in variety are are like a radio show 
the morning radio shows that you listen to, at least here in the United States, are crazy. Four or five different voices, male, female, old, young, sound effects, music bumpers. All that's designed to keep your ear interested because you don't have any visual information to support it. So one quick trick that I give to all of my coaching clients is just increase your volume. Roughly, it's about 10% that you need to put into that microphone so there's more coming out the other side. When you're in a Zoom meeting, for example, and you're sitting there looking at someone that's a roughly 12 to 14 inches away from you, your subconscious says, no, I can't shout at this person. He's right there. It's like you're sitting you know, across from a table at Starbucks talking to someone. You're not going to be shouting at them. However, uh, if you raise it just about 10%, usually it lifts up everything. The microphone has more to work with. It gets the lower part of your voice. It gets just a lot more comes out the other side because you're putting more in. So that's one of the big differences, I think, for you know, just in audio between in-person and virtual. Now, for video, if you're going to add that element, use the visual. This is a little box you've been put into. So taking away your whole body and you can't walk around on the stage. So the audience is missing those cues and that visual variety. So you have to, within this little frame, and if people can imagine right now, my hands are up near my shoulder. I keep my fingers together. Sometimes I'll gesture one hand at a time. I'll, I'll show you a little bit. I'll show you a big butt, a big amount, moving the needle, not going to do that anymore. Those kind of things you would say with your hands would naturally just get into the act. And you can't have them down below. Most people I see have them on the table and the gestures are so low, nobody sees them. And all we get is what we call a talking head, which visually is very static and can get boring very quickly. So get all in there, make eye contact with the camera. I mean, there's lots of other visual things. I won't go into all the details now, but this is what I do as a coach is I help people with those little nuanced things that will reinforce their voice, be in sync with the message and, and make sure the audience hears each word that you want to emphasize. You see right there, it's, I'm just, I'm punching my fist together. Well, I, nobody can see that, but I'm, I'm emphasizing yep. it with my voice, face, everything all kind of working together. I think that's one of the things in virtual people can do that'll help set them aside from most of the other presenters on camera because people just don't do these things. They don't do eye contact, they don't do gestures, and they're usually a little too quiet. One interesting one, I don't, by the way, that's very, I don't know, but in the last 10 episodes, or maybe even more, the people that are listening will tell me probably in the comments where they find the podcast episode on any social media. For some reason, I still cannot control myself to say the word interesting so very often, which is, I don't know. Anyway, now that I have said it out loud, you guys that are giving me feedback, first of all, thank you so much. And second of all, I understand. I'm working on it, okay? I'm working on it. <laughs> so, so I'm working on it. So I wanted to ask one specific thing that's about the virtual world, especially for the executives that you work with. Having in mind that those guys and those people, like they run run organizations that are super, super popular so with a lot of people inside. A lot of people will potentially get to see that panel. Do you also advise them to level up or to upgrade or to somehow get better microphones, better cameras? Like what is the case there? Oh, wow. Yeah, it, that's such a challenge now. 
because Boris, you and I, and everybody else got forced to go work in our homes overnight back in March. The whole world did. And my business actually improved because I was already specializing in helping people on camera. So suddenly the whole world was on camera and there was a run on webcams, ring lights. I mean, all the stuff that YouTubers had been using for a long time suddenly were out of stock because people were like, oh no. And it does make a difference. It does. And you can spend anywhere from $50 to $500 on a microphone. And there's minute little differences between them. I'm a fan of not spending a lot of money. You know, try out the basic stuff first. Uh, even a $50, $60 US uh, dollar microphone plugged into your laptop is going to give you 50% more richness than the little tiny condenser mic that they build in the lab. Laptops aren't built for being studios generally. And so adding an external webcam as well, more focus, it'll deal with the light differently. I do invest in a couple of lights because one of the mistakes people, they just show up in the dark or they have harsh shadows on their face. And this is all video production technique that I, I will do a home studio tune up with my clients first. Okay, here's your posture, frame it up, look in the camera, light it up, plug in the microphone, all those things, the background, I'm using a green screen background right now, but I also have a few different places in my house I like to have just as a natural. And, you know, it says something. Your background says something. You just don't want it to overpower you. So all these things do matter. And uh, in fact, I have a little gear guide that I publish out. Like, here's the stuff I use. The cheapest, most portable, good quality stuff that I've found over the last few years. Uh, and I used to travel with it too. So everything's super lightweight, packable, condensed, you know, foldable, <laughs> convertible. Uh, it, it, there's just so much great equipment out there. And so I, I think I answered your question correctly that yes, especially a microphone, if you buy anything first, it's a better mic and one little ring light that goes straight onto your face that helps fill in all those things that aren't that attractive. <laughs> Hides yeah. the wrinkles too. <laughs> Where have you published that? You said that you have published it? Yeah, I'm, uh, on my website, uh, davidgoatspeaks.com, I have a list of the workshops and, and my coaching services and things. If somebody reaches out to me there, I'd be happy to send them uh, my gear guide. So you can send an email to davidgoatspeaks at gmail.com or find me on LinkedIn. I'll be the David Goad that pops up first, I promise you, because I'm all over it. And I also publish a little show called The David Goad Show where I do video tips for people on this, this topic. So usually they're two to three minutes long and I'll just deal with, uh, like I did a video recently on how to read a script and make it not sound like reading a script. And people are like, yes, well, I need that. <laughs> so, so you'll find those kind of tips too if you want, you want to follow that there. Brilliant. Now that we're saying all of that, you know, a lot of people in the world of business, in the world of also presentations, who should we get next? This is a podcast for presentations. Someone that made an impression on you. Who should be here next? Huh. Who should be here next? You know who I follow is someone I just recently connected with him on LinkedIn. It's Mark Bowden, who is one of the leading body language experts. And he does a show with three other experts and they, they analyze some of the presidential debates and things. But he's, he's really good at uh, analyzing body language and how it can either contribute to or take away from your virtual presentation. So I've learned a few things from him uh, and I highly recommend it. It's Mark, B-O-W-D-E-N. Mark Bowden? Yeah. Bowden, yes. He, yeah, he was, he was actually on the first season of the podcast. However, unfortunately, the recording with him was not that great. The 
and it was my fault, not his fault. It was my <laughs> fault. So, by the way, Mark will be part of our conference, which is coming up in April. Have you do you, have you seen uh, Chase also? Chase Hughes, who is on the, the second guy on the behavioral panel. Yeah, those guys are all fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely look them up, and uh, that's someone I would recommend. Okay, so I probably need to re-invite and invite Mark again to re-record this. I don't know. <laughs> okay, if you are saying that he should be the next guest, I will definitely reach out to him again. Yeah, they, they are great and they really share incredible things related to body language and non-verbal communication in general. These guys are really into that subject. Like, really. Okay. David, we have talked a lot about panels, about fireside chats, not fearside right fireside chats so you mentioned the you you mentioned the videos the linkedin your website what is is it is it linkedin is it is linkedin the best place for people to reach out and connect yeah i'd love to connect in linkedin and share stories and uh and content there and that's a great place to start or davidgoatspeaks.com really easy to remember you'll find everything uh, there as well okay and where are the videos are they on linkedin or are they on the website or are they on youtube uh, a uh, YouTube channel. Uh, look up David Goad Speaks on YouTube and you'll find that. And there's a playlist called The David Goad Show. But I also, I plug those into LinkedIn. That's primarily where I record videos. And, and what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people, you know this, Morris, people will be listening to your content for a long time before they reach out and ask for coaching or ask you to come and speak. It's very common. I'll post a video and then I get a private message that says, always says the same thing, David. I've been watching your videos for a long time and finally decided to reach out, right? So you always that. I, so people are listening and they're processing, getting some value out of that. And I try to just give away as much value as possible, knowing that I'll eventually get hired as a coach because people have a, a big presentation coming up or they get invited to be on a panel and the stakes are really high. And I invented this service called Speech 911, which means... I got something coming in the next couple of weeks. I need urgent help on scripting, you know, performance, uh, how to hand role-playing the questions. And I'll just get executives ready. You know, sometimes a media interview, but most of the times it's a, it's a all hands presentation or a big user conference or something. And I'm a specialist at all of those things and between the scripting, performance coaching and, and, and the whole, I'm an end-to-end -end kind of coach. Brilliant, brilliant. And hopefully more, most of the times it will be for a request for the upcoming weeks, because if that is the case always with you, that's great. I mean, otherwise people are like, I have to be on a panel, uh, but uh, yeah, it's tomorrow. <laughs> so can you help? <laughs> I would take that one. I don't care what time zone you're in. I love that urgency of, you know, I'll find something. I'll help you uh, get there. I had a, a startup CEO, uh, a younger guy uh, who, brilliant engineer, but, you know, never really got trained to be a presenter. And he would kind of sit up there on the, tapping on the laptop and going through. And, and so I coached him remotely. He brought his laptop, stuck it on a chair. So it was like me, the coach, sitting in the front row. Literally, he put me in a chair in the front row on his laptop. We opened up the Zoom, and I was coaching him on stage and telling him, you know, giving him advice. And it's, that's the world we're in now. You can do it from anywhere. And, yeah, of course, I'd much rather be there in person. But now, if you're going to teach people how to be better on camera, you need to do it on camera. 
you have to feel this whole experience and, and see where the limitations and the opportunities are. I completely agree with that. So all of the links, the YouTube channel, the website, and your LinkedIn profile, I'll make sure that we put it in the show notes so that people can find them very, very easily. So thank you so much for joining. That was a, like, that was a blast. I was expecting, by the way, to be completely honest and transparent with everybody so that we are authentic again. I actually, before we start, before I hit the record button, I was in the other room because we had these emergencies. And I was like, I think David will do some really crazy, unexpected things during the podcast. I really need to be focused for the next 40 minutes. <laughs> I was like, mm, I feel nervous a little bit because it may get like, crazy unexpected because of our initial talk and i was like he probably prepared something for me i don't know <laughs> but anyway anyway it didn't happen probably the next time you test me out in some brutal way who knows who knows but thanks for stopping by and thanks for joining this podcast it was a pleasure yeah yeah the clo closing comment is don't be predictable that's my last little soundbite you know unpredictable so much more interesting and i think that's what most hosts are looking for I think that's what most audiences will tune in for and stay for. Uh, so don't be like everyone else. Be unpredictable. Brilliant. Okay. I will share absolutely everything. All the Everything will be in the show notes, obviously. We can obviously talk about the topic for hours and hours. So if anyone is who is listening to this podcast has a question, just shoot a message on any social media platform. And I'll make sure that I'll tag David and we'll both answer your question okay so in the meantime visit 356lab.com also to see what we are doing and how we can help your company do and prepare and deliver truly effective presentations and in, don't forget of course our conference present to succeed this is the biggest presentation skills event in the world uh, probably we have to have david for the next event for 2022 david what are you saying are you in uh, I'll, I'll give a qualified yes right now. <laughs> all right. All right. Here we go. We'll make it happen. Here we go. Thanks for listening. <laughs> that was unexpected. So thanks for listening, everyone. And in case you found this episode useful, subscribe to the podcast. And why not even leave us a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. We would appreciate it. Thanks again and see you in the next one. Bye-bye.